The Guardian. Six Nations Rugby with Ian Payne. Well, hello and welcome once again to the Six Nations show on guardian.co.uk with myself, Ian Payne, and what a Six Nations it's been so far. As we go into the fourth round, a penultimate round of matches, it's time to get your calculators out because almost everyone can win anything. This is the situation. Wales can still win the Grand Slam and the Triple Crown. England can't win the Triple Crown, which incidentally used to be called the Invisible Cup because there wasn't one, but now there is. But they can win the Calcutta Cup. There's always been one of those because Dean Rich has dented it in a bit of high jinx once in Edinburgh. Uh, France are not eligible to win the Triple Crown, but they can still win the championship. And Ireland can still win both. Scotland can't win the Grand Slam, the Triple Crown or the title, but they can win the Wooden Spoon. And it's a similar story with Italy. Uh, Throw in the added complication of points difference and the intrigue of Warren Gatlin returning to Ireland, where he was effectively sacked a few years ago. Danny Cipriani finally getting a start for England. And some more changes from Mark, the Tinkerman, Livremont. And it all makes for a very exciting weekend of fixtures. I should warn you, though, this podcast, we're going to be talking about gouging. And I do believe that uh, some of it will involve... Um, parts of the body which are normally restricted on these programmes and this podcast contains adult content. Right, um, on the programme today, The Guardian's Deputy Sports Editor, Ian Pryor, who I think last time predicted that England would beat France. Absolutely. Good man. Uh, Guardian sports writer Claire Tolley, the only one amongst us who can pronounce the French players as their parents intended. <laughs> can you give us a Marc Livremont? Marc Livremont. Oh, good. Uh, and we have also Philip Matthews, the uh, former Ireland captain who's with us. Welcome, Philip. Afternoon, Ian. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Good. And uh, if anyone else would like to get in touch with us, give your thoughts and opinions, we always want to hear from you. And what you do is you post your blog at blogs guardian.co.uk forward slash sport. That's blogs.guardian.co.uk forward slash sport. Right, that's got rid of all the um, paraphernalia. Let's talk about the thing that really matters, and that's the matches. First off, one fifteen, Ireland against Wales. Philip, how do you see this one? Oh, it's a tough one to call. I think if you're a betting man, you'd probably, on form, uh, which is very much Gatlin's perspective on form, you'd probably put your money on Wales. But I think it largely depends on who's able to dictate the game. And if Ireland can get their line-out functioning and O'Gara can exert some control and play a more structured game, then I think Ireland have a good chance of winning. But if Wales, because I think they're better at that more, that less structured game, they're better through 1-15 to 15 in terms of handling the ball, moving away before the tackle. I think if it's an unstructured game, then I think Wales will win. Hmm. Okay, well, let's bring Sitting in... on the uh, fence there. No, not, <laughs> <laughs> it sounds, sounds good to me. Yeah. Uh, let's bring in Ian Pryor, fellow countryman of yours, Philip, um, Deputy Sports Editor of The Guardian to boot. What do you think? I like Ireland for this one for, for a couple of reasons. I, th- I think the Wales form line, I'll, although they've, you know, they've looked very good in their two games, but there's a little bit of deception there. Even they would admit they were lucky to get out of Twickenham with the result they had. You know, they, they got pushed around a lot in the first half and it was, it was more kind of England's losing the plot that handled them that game. They had a a reasonably hard time against Scotland, perhaps harder than they would have expected, even though they, you know, they ended up with a 15-point margin after changing a lot. Um, I think Ireland at home are a very different prospect. Ireland have been improving game by game. Um, great second half of France, followed by very competent performance against Scotland, although you know, there were still a few things to work on. And I think they've been building to this moment. I'm, I'm not sure Wales have 
they've got momentum, but 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 I'm I'm just not sure they've been tested to the same extent Ireland has thus far. I think I read Claire in the Guardian this morning. Funnily enough, uh, a statistic that said that uh, Ireland haven't lost apart from once against the home nations in the Six Nations, i.e., not France, not Italy, but all the others, uh, since 2003, which is quite a record, isn't it? It is, but I mean, you know, they've had a very settled side since then, and I think that they were criticised at the start of this tournament because their form. Uh, poor form from the World Cup carried over into the start of the Six Nations. But, you know, as Ian was just saying, they've managed to find that little bit of form and their key players, the likes of Ogara. Redden has given, Redden at scrum half, has given Ogara a little bit of space to dictate things. And you certainly saw that against Scotland when he was finally sort of able to get something out of the back line. Obviously, you don't know whether Jordan Dempsey... Uh, Sorry, Jordan Murphy's going to be fit at the moment. But I think certainly he made a big difference for Ireland against Scotland. And the only thing is, you can't really forget how bad Scotland are playing at the moment. It would be be a good player if you could get Jordan Dempsey sort of cloned together. (laughs) I mean, he'd be be good at most things. Philip, Philip, there's a a subplot to this, isn't it? I know Warren Gatlin doesn't want to be drawn into the revenge thing, but there's got to be a little part of him that says, hold on a minute, Ireland dumped me as coach. That's about the most... uh, well, the thing I've failed at in my career, where yeah. he's been successful everywhere else. And didn't Eddie O'Sullivan have something to do with it? Well, he says he doesn't want to be drawn in, but he, I was just looking at a, a, a blog earlier on this morning where, where he was clearly drawn in, and, and the approach was quite cute on behalf of whoever was interviewing him because he said, you're an honest man, Warren. I'm going to ask you a straight question. And in fairness to Warren, he gave a straight answer. He basically talked about loyalty, uh, and he felt that the team he has around him at the moment were... Uh, we're all loyal to him and the way things are going. He feels that uh, O'Sullivan did deal a, a rather disloyal hand, um, and there's no question about it. Whatever the, whatever the public posturing, whatever is said, yeah, there's a little bit of needle. But to be honest, I think that is a subplot. I don't expect it to come into the game uh, until maybe the TV cameras are looking at both coaches after the game to see whether there's a kind of a, a display of, yeah. of a handshake the way we, we're more often seeing soccer <laughs> than you do in rugby. But yeah. uh, I, I do think it is a subplot, and I don't see it distracting the players one little bit. Ian, what do you think about the um, the whole subplot, the idea, and the, and the fact? I mean, what did Eddie Sullivan do in your opinion? Did he stab him in the back? I think he did to an extent, but you know, one sh- one shouldn't forget that a lot of the kind of rugby establishments view in Ireland was, was, was on the side of O'Sullivan at that time as well. There, there was a, a perception, however wrong, however warped, that Gatland had maybe taken the side as far as he could. There was, it was Gatland's first major job in rugby. And I think in the cold light of day, even Gatland would admit Ireland probably did, did him the biggest favour they could have done because he, he went on to build an incredibly successful team at Wasps. And I think a lot of his Irish experience really hardened him as a coach kind of brought out a more ruthless streak in the future and and very much made him the coach that he is now. A couple of changes, two changes uh, to the type five after the victory over Scotland. Rory Best replaces Bernard Jackman at hooker and Paul O'Connell, who was on the bench 10 days ago, takes over from uh, Mick O'Driscoll. Um, Philip, is that any significance to those changes from the Ireland point of view? Very much so. They've got a, their line it hasn't functioned. Uh, to be honest, it hasn't functioned since the start of the World Cup and the warm-up matches in the World Cup. And it's quite easy to say, um, blame Bernard Jackman, for instance, because, you know, a perceived lack of accuracy. But to be honest, I think that the issue goes deeper than that. I think that opposition sides have found it far too easy to get jumpers in the air where the ball is being thrown to. And that means that Jackman's margin of error has maybe been plus or minus six inches. 
Whereas if you're, you look at France and they get jumpers up in the air very, very free, they've got small guys, light guys, who, are, who you can get into the air very, very quickly and very high. The ball is in and away before the opposition can react or second guess. And personally, I think that Niall O'Donovan and the forwards themselves, uh, particularly the type five, need to really work on the variation of the line. And we'll see whether they've done that in the first few lineups of this game because they're going to have to win ball much more comfortably. And that's about keeping the opposition, you know, guessing, not, not giving them clear signals where the ball is going and helping best to, to hit his target to those first few critical lineups so he can build his confidence from there. Philip, do you think Hooker's becoming something of a problem position for Ireland? I mean, they've been through a lot of guys in the last few years. Yeah, now. well, I, I suppose since Keith Wood, you, know, you lose a player like that, you're never going to be able to replace that. Now, Woody himself would say he wasn't the greatest line-out thrower in the world either. Um, I think Jackman offers other things that Wood offered in terms of ball carrying, but clearly... The highly technical nature of lineouts these days, and the game is getting more and more technical, and sides are doing more and more homework on the body language of the second row so they can anticipate where the ball is going. So it has become a lot more demanding. I wouldn't say it's a problem because, to be honest, I think Wales have got a bit of an issue as well. Their lineout didn't fire particularly well against Italy, um, and I think that's key to Saturday's game because if Ireland's lineout fires, well, then O'Gara's got some chance of putting some structure and controlling the game, but if it doesn't, then Wales will be able to impose themselves. And I don't think that that's what they want. They don't want Wales imposing this kind of frenetic, fast, open open game that, uh, that they love to play. I mean, the other thing, Philip, you could say is that, you know, it's the one strength that perhaps Scotland did have was, you know, in the line-out area. So, you yeah. know, particularly that would have made Ireland's failings in that area, you know, possibly highlight them that's even right. more. That's right, absolutely. If you look at the stats in that game, I mean, the, the uh, stats don't win games, but if you'd looked at the stats and just ignored the scoreline, you'd have thought, oh, look at all the possession of the territory that Scotland have because it was on those rare occasions that Ireland were able to get out of their half they were clinical uh, and they put the points on the board and that just killed Scotland's uh, resistance right off so that was key you're absolutely right but I just don't think that Wales will give them those kind of chances and therefore that, that you know the, the line is going to be absolutely key so you sat on the fence the first time I asked you before you go I'll ask you again who's going yeah. to win Oh, I've got to go for Ireland, haven't I? I mean, I, I'm going to, I'm going to say, I'm going to give the Irish forwards the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to say that they've, they've worked during the week. Uh, they've thought very long and hard about the lineout. That they're going to bring a little bit of variation in here to win the ball and get it away. And if they do that, I think they'll win. Okay. And before you go, um, we've found out from almost every former international who's been on this program that they had to do some form of initiation ceremony when they got their first cap. Can you remember yours? That was a good old song. My, my favourite became my kind of signature, Lionised by the Eagles. Song at the top of the bus, belted out. Really? There you go. Yeah. Okay. And do you have to drink every uh, drink from every member of the team as well as England have to do? No, we never nah. did that. We don't. We're not really into drinking over here. Okay. <laughs> You're going to sing us out. <laughs> well, yeah. Where will I start? Will you, will you back me up? <laughs> yeah, sure. Harmony? I'll do the harmony. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks Maybe a lot. Next time. Thanks Cheers. very much, Philip. All of us. That's uh, Philip Matthews, the former Ireland captain. Um, what do we make of the uh, Welsh changes, or at least the halfbacks? We've got Jones instead of Hook, and then we've got a uh, replacement in, uh, in scrum half as well. Claire, what do you think? Um, I was kind of surprised that he went back to Mike Phillips after um, Dwayne Peel came in. Um, there was an instance um, when Sean Edwards was going mad in the game um, against Italy when um, Phillips had come on, was sort of dashing towards the line, didn't pass at the right time to Mark Jones and they missed out on a try. Now, you know, in the previous games, Gatlin's been utterly ruthless when the mistakes of that ilk have been made. So he obviously wants the sort of player that he sees Phillips as, you know, the more sniping scrum half, the bigger guy um, around the fringes than um, to have the ball whipped out to the backs, which is perhaps a little bit surprising. What's Wales' best plan, Ian? 
I think we've just been talking about it. I mean, the, I think the reason Phillips is there, Phillips is the biggest scrum half in the tournament and the most muscular and the, and the most physical. I think Wales have probably correctly identified that O'Gara is getting a, maybe a split second more time when, when Redden's around and the, the plan will be to target Redden probably off the back of the scrum and, and at the margins and, and just, just cut down his options a little bit and put him under that bit of pressure so O'Gara isn't just getting that cleanliness of all and, and Phillips, you know, a strong, muscular scrum half who likes to give a knock will be the key to that and Redden will be a target. It was interesting actually in the press conference that Gatlin, who didn't say much about, you know, revenge and everything but he did actually talk about when he was coach of Ireland he obviously understands the strengths of the Irish team because mm. effectively a lot of the players that he started with are still there and O'Gara is one of them um, and he said we're going to have to make him do make lots of tackles. They will, and perhaps it's also a valid point that Sean Edwards is Redden's coach at, at Wasps, and he, he knows the strengths, he, he knows what he can bring to the kind of dynamics of the Irish back play, and he, he'll know shutting him down is a, is a priority. OK, so Matthews went for Ireland, you're obviously going for your nation, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, I'll, I'll give it to Ireland by kind of, yeah. you know, f- from 5 to 10 maybe. And Claire? Well, I lived in Wales for a while, but I'm afraid I think it's going to be Ireland too. Six Nations Rugby from Guardian.co.uk so that's Ireland against Wales. Uh, kickoff at one fifteen on Saturday, three uh, fifteen at Murrayfield. England head for the Calcutta Cup after their memorable victory over France in Paris a fortnight ago. But Scotland have a habit of spoiling the party for England. Last time they met at Murrayfield in the Six Nations, Scotland won eighteen twelve. So what can we expect on Saturday? I'm delighted to say we can bring in a friend of the show, a regular, the former England hooker Steve Thompson. How are you, Steve? I'm very well, thank you. Yourself. I'm very well. Um, I just want to ask you, first of all, about how you knew that, that Lee Mears would get into the uh, England side, because you predicted this a few weeks ago, or at least you said he should be. Yeah, no, I just feel he offers a lot more. Um, his overall game, I think, you know, with the bath pack going so well, he's the, the form hooker in England at the moment, and um, just taking him a while to get in there, but finally, you know, he's got in there. I was speaking to him the other day, because good friends with him, and obviously he's very excited and really looking forward to it. Are you good friends with Mark Regan as well? Uh, okay. I talked to to Roddy, but I'm not as friendly as I am with sort of Mirzy. Have you spoken to him since he was dropped? No, I haven't. No. No. <laughs> the French coach Mark Lievremont described Regan as a grotesque clown. Is that fair? Um, a clown, perhaps. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> uh, you saying he's pretty? Yeah, yeah no, I wouldn't go that far either as well. But uh, grotesque is normally what people say about me. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he had a. He, apparently, um, he and Brian Ashton had a quote interesting conversation uh, when when asked afterwards does that mean did he throw the toys out of the pram as and as Gomesil did when he was dropped as uh, scrum half yeah. he said he said no it was a very mature conversation how do you think it would have gone well i've never heard mature used along with mark reagan to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so that's a surprise for a start yeah well and the press was sort of talking him up a bit after the french match weren't they they were sort of it was weird they were saying his performance wasn't great but he'd done really well so i couldn't really understand that but no, like you said, he'd done his job. He wound them up and that. But uh, now he's gone past that. And I think you need like someone in there that's going to really offer a lot more around the park. And Lee Mears and George could do that. Uh, I'll ask you about the backs in a second. First of all, Claire, what do you think about England's chances of, of winning in Murray? On form, they should win. But we've seen this before, haven't we? I, I just can't see. I cannot see how Scotland can beat them. I know I'm probably going to end up looking really stupid, but I just can't see it happening. Scotland have been so, so disappointing. Every time I thought they can't possibly play that badly again, they've gone out and I've seen quotes from them saying they've shot themselves in the foot, they haven't done this, that and the other. <sighs> they don't seem to be linking between forwards, backs. You know, they've got decent halfbacks and it just isn't working. And I like the look of the England team. 
you know, the game against France, they went back to, even if we don't like necessarily the way that they ground out a win, I just think they'll do exactly the same up in Scotland and then break out towards the end. Well, there is a suggestion, Ian, that, that Brian Ashton is beginning now to uh, introduce a more running style for England with Cipriani, for example, and the various wingers. Do you see it happening or will England revert to type? To a large extent, you you get the style of play from the team you pick. And I, I think Cip- Cipriani is, you know, a, a, although there's been a huge clamour for him, although everyone's been screaming for him to be put in a fullback in the last couple of games. I mean, he's there now and it's, it's absolutely the right game to pick him. If if they can't get a running game with him at fullback, with Saki, with Saki on the wing, I'd, I think you've got to ask when are they ever going to get it. Steve, have you seen much of Cipriani? What do you make of him? No, I think he's a great talent. I think sometimes that people are overhyped a little bit to come in for the first couple of caps and, and do something really special. I think he needs to come in and just do a good steady job for England and after a few games you'll probably see his, his, his great touches and uh, sometimes some players can sort of talk a bit too much before they've actually done the business as such. Um, mm. So I'm just hoping that that's, that's not one, you know. A lot of people say about form and things, but to you know, England, Scotland, especially in Murrayfield, Scotland are a totally different team and it's one of them, you know, they're going to put him under pressure and they'll really go for it. And, there's a lot of talk about this, like, oh, the running rugby and got that, but you've got to do it up front first. Um, as much as you want to play running rugby, you need a forward pack that's dominant, and I really feel that England can, can dominate them this time. And then, like you say, with the backs, hopefully, they can start linking together. You know, they were saying earlier about the backs not linking well together, but I don't think the English team have, really. In defence, they've been magnificent at times, but then in attack, I think they've been stuttering and things like that. So it's going to be great seeing them put a total performance in. Yeah, it'd be very fascinating to see how Cipriani's career goes from here. He's a very uh, interesting character. He could have become a professional footballer. Uh, he's with QPR. He could have been with Reading. He also, he's got a fine attitude towards the game. He, he says, if I make a mistake, I make a mistake. I think about the next thing I do. Don't look back to the mistakes. And I think he had a, his first kick was charged down, wasn't it, when he came on the other week? And then the next thing he did, he drilled it about 70 yards and put them right back on their own line. So he obviously doesn't worry too much about making mistakes. Um, various blogs on this subject... Uh, this is about Cipriani from Upper Palm Tree. I don't know. Uh, so it's uh, oh, is this, oh, it's from Suva in Fiji. That's why. So it's what we've pretty much all been after now, England. Uh, even if Cipriani is poor in his first game, the management, the media, and the blogging public have to give him time to settle in. Bet Scotland win the bloody-minded so-and-sos. You don't sound Fijian. Uh, and on Lee Mears at Hooker, Nasjak says, I think Mir's selection should have more impact. Not only is he better in the loose than Regan, but his throwing has been almost perfect in comparison to Regan's blind man in the dark style (laughs) of late. Uh, This is from Andy Boy in Manchester who says, Can anyone explain the logic of having both Tate and Bolshaw on the bench? Surely Tate covers all positions Bolshaw does as well as other positions. And he's better, of course. The only reason I can cease it is so that Ashton doesn't have to drop Bolshaw completely. I kind of wonder in 10 years' time, you know, um, when, when there's a completely different England team, will there still be a place for Ian Bolshaw on the bench? <laughs> 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 he's, he's like Ashton's comfort blanket in some way, a little, a little ted, teddy bear figure he, just, he needs to have around before he'll take, put a team out in a rugby field. <laughs> it, it does defy logic. Can you see any way in Scotland winning, Claire Corrant? Uh, the thing about the games like this that Scotland win is that you, you can never see them winning, and they're the ones where they really surprise you. Um, they always look absolutely dreadful in the run-up to a game like this, and then somehow from nowhere they find some kind of equalising factor at, Murray, at Murrayfield that drags the game down into a, into a bitty, nasty forward battle. I think if they can keep the score down for the first half hour, they've got a chance. But beyond that, no, no, it shouldn't um, happen. Steve, what was your experience playing against Scotland? You played against them, was it four times? 
Yeah, I've, I've made my debut against them, but then I was, I was also in the game where we lost up in Murrayfield, and it was a weird one. We had the first two games we won against Wales and Italy really convincingly. We went back to the clubs, then came back and we really stuttered. I don't think they really got in our half, but they just kicked penalties, and it was just one of these games where we just couldn't score a try against them, you know. One of the wingers dropped the ball about two metres from their line and things like that. And it was one of them games that just didn't happen for us. And that's exactly what Scotland are wanting, really. Does the venue make that much difference? Does home territory really mean as much as that? For a team like Scotland, I think it does. That sounds awful to say, but I think they're up there now. And especially against the English, they, you know, they really make a big thing about that. They don't care how the championship goes. As long as if they beat England, they'll have a good championship, really, for them now. Um, Claire, what have you made of uh, the, the England changes then? We've obviously got a new hooker. We're talking about the backs as a whole. It's got a whole different look to it now, hasn't it, from, from the World Cup? Yes, yeah, certainly. I think before um, the Six Nations started, everyone was saying, well, you know, what's Brian Ashton going to do? How is he going to start to develop this team? And um, in a certain respect, you know, his hand's been forced by injuries. Even without the changes this time, I thought for me the interesting bit was um, against France last time round in terms of, you know, the makeup of the back row. I really like the whole Croft, Lippmann, Easter back row. And I think, you know, that again, there was a lot of talk afterwards about the sort of balance that it had. If you look at the game against France, the way that they shut down their supply of quick possession, it kind of gave them a real platform and they might not have made the most of it. But that's the challenge for them to do up at Murrayfield. Steve, what do you make of Croft? He came on as a, as a substitute and he just he looked like he was born to play international rugby. It is. It's funny how some players can do that. They just all of a sudden step up and... After your first game, I think that's the worst one. Once you actually feel that you, you deserve to be on the pitch, really, you think, well, actually, I can cope with that. It's not that much different as the Premiership. And suddenly, you know, hopefully he'll come on and do, do better things in this match and with matches to come. Did you agree with one of our bloggers, Naz Jack, who said that uh, Regan's throwing in isn't very good and, and Mears is, is pretty good? Mears, Mears is good. He's a very good technician. Um, well, to be honest, he's had it battered into him by Borthwick, I think, at, at Bath, which helps, to be honest. Yeah. Lineouts, Steve, they call him. He's, Steve Borthwick's one of the most quietest people you've ever met until you talk about lineouts. And he turns <laughs> into like, the incredible Hulk. He's unbelievable. That's his specialist subject on Mastermind, is it? <laughs> yeah, Lineout jumping. Yeah, exactly. He can talk to anyone for, about, for hours about it. So, uh, yeah, bless him. <laughs> for all the, uh, the talk of Scotland producing a great performance at home against England. Do you think Scotland can win this or not, Steve? I think it's going to be very difficult for them. Um, I think England now, because of the Welsh match and the Italy match, really, and suddenly England have got the tails off a little bit after the French match. I, I don't think they can this time. I, I really don't. I think England now, you know, we sort of let ourselves down the last time we were up in Murrayfield, so they'd be wary of that. But on the other hand, I think that hopefully we'll get it right and with Cipriani and that we'll play the right rugby this time. Steve, I want to ask your opinion of um, another subject. This is the, the subject of uh, eye gouging. Mara Bergamasco has been banned for 13 weeks after being yeah. found guilty of eye gouging against Wales. Um, did you ever experience this? Are you surprised it's still going on? Um, well, there's been a bit of it going on in, in, the, in the French league, really. One of our boys got done at the weekend. Um, and I've always had the unwritten law. I don't mind being punched or kicked, but... <laughs> Excuse my, but your eyes and your balls is just one thing that no one should ever touch, really, unless they've been after it. I have to, I have to say that that's the that is why I gave up playing rugby. I didn't play to any standard, but I played at the university standard, and I was playing against Middlesex Hospital, bloody doctors for God's sake. And I'm at the bottom of the ruck, and this guy just grabs my balls and squeezes them as hard as he can, twists them, and I look up at him and I said, "What are you doing? You know, this is well beyond the laws." And he looked at me and went. 
take that fucker. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a doctor. And I thought, forget this. I don't know how you do it at your level, Steve, but... Um, was he a pooper doctor? Did he offer to kind of fix it the ground afterwards? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, that was the end of uh, my career. So that's Scotland against England, Saturday, 3.15. Uh, everyone thinks England are going to win this, yes? Yeah, yeah gotta be. Yeah, yeah, okay, fine. Uh, France against Italy is the three o'clock game on Sunday. So Wales, Ireland, and England are all still in the title race. That leaves France, who take on Italy at home on Sunday. Steve, can you see any way in which France might lose this? Um, no, I don't think so. I think with Bergamasco out, he's such a big player for them. You know, it's a shame that he's done that, really, because he's, he's one of the, the toughest players in the in the world, really. Um, and for him to do that was just stupid. He's going to be a massive loss for the Italians. I just feel now that the French, after a loss against England, will you know they've picked some new players and they'll look to play, but also they'll have that extra edge as well. Claire, as you demonstrated so beautifully before, you can you can speak French better than any of us. So I'll ask you the next question. Marc Livremont continues to be the tinker man of the Six Nations. What's he doing? Well, he thinks he's doing what Graham Henry did, doesn't he? In terms of, you know, when Henry brought over teams to play in the um, Autumn International Series, he brought over lots of young, uncapped players, and everyone said, oh, he's not taking it seriously. And obviously, you know, sitting over here in Europe, we think, well, you know, you shouldn't treat the Six Nations like that. But Livermore's just got a different perspective on things. You know, he is saying, OK, I need these young players to play at a level where they're going to learn how to play international rugby. They're not going to do that um, under 21 level anymore. I want them to play against the best. Yeah, what's the feeling in France, Steve? You're playing there. What, what's the feeling about Livremont and he, what he's trying to do? Um, I know a lot of people, like you said before, are disrespecting the, the Six Nations, but I don't think he is at all. I think he's building. You know, Clive Woodward, how many players did he cap in his reign as coach and, and then suddenly delivered? And it's, it's one of these where I've, I think, you know, fair play to him. If he's He's going to do that and he's going to bleed these players in and pick them. And, you know, a lot of them coming from the 21s and, and they're coming up. And if they had to beat England, which, you know, they, they had the opportunities to, you know, they shot themselves with a game plan, but the actual players on the pitch I thought were good enough. Fair play to them. You know, they'd have been up there going for the Grand Slam still. It's for the future. It's not for now. It's to build, get rid of the World Cup, get rid of some of the old guard and bring these players through. Ian, is he being disrespectful to the Six Nations? Well... I said that the last time I was on, and I, st- I still think he is. It's, it's looking like an audition for Grange Hill at times. Um, we've got, a, we've got another, 19, another new 19-year-old in the centre. I, I'm not sure it's as much about disrespecting a tournament. You, you, you can think whatever you want on that. I think it's about putting out a team that wins the games in front of them. The World Cup is four years, years away, and I, I just don't buy the theory that throwing in a kid to get Savage now will make him a better player in the year 2012. Sorry, I've just I've just remembered what that um, Middlesex Hospital bloke said to me as he ran away. I've just remembered. <laughs> it's just suddenly come back to me. Because as he ran away after doing all that damage, I, I, I shouted. I said, but you're a doctor. You should know better. He says, I'm a doctor, so I know what hurts more. <laughs> anyway, that's a long story. Um, as far as Italy is concerned, Steve, are they, are they getting better? Yeah, they are. I feel they are. You know, they, they could have beat Ireland, could have beat England. They are getting better. They get, they're getting more players coming through now. You've got a lot of the Italians in France playing, and they're very competitive now, whereas before they were a bit of the whipping boys, and then suddenly you'd whip them, but it'd be a bit more of a tougher match. Now, if you're not switched on, they are going to beat you, and um, they're still building and they're still going forwards, and, and fair play to them. You know, just in the 
what four years or so that they've really sort of come on. Mm. I think the problem, you know, is that they just, just don't have strength in depth. So, you know, when they lose players, they don't have others who can step up immediately. So, you know, the loss of Bergamasco, the fact they lost Troncon and now they're trying to blow, they don't really have a proper fly half. They haven't got enough players playing the game in Italy, you mean? The, the, the base of players just isn't strong enough? No, not yet. But that just takes time, doesn't it? You, you can't... You think, you think when they first came in, though, they had Kiwis, they had everyone playing mm. for them, didn't they, really? Whereas now... They are Italian players and they're coming through and their game's getting better. They're very competitive and now teams have, have got to be right on their toes. Whereas before you'd sort of turn up, you'd, this is the sort of game you'd blood players in really against Italy. Whereas now you can't. You've got to put your full team out else you will lose. And they're probably one of the most physical teams in the Six Nations. Mm. Did you give them a, give them a chance, Ian? Uh, not really. I think the fixture list hasn't worked out well for them this time. Cause the, the last thing you, you need after a hiding like they got in Cardiff last time out is a, is a trip to Paris. Conversely, it's been very kind to France. The, the one thing a more experienced team will cope with better than a young one is the loss of momentum. And I think it's the perfect opportunity to France to get back on track now. Did you ever have any bad injuries while you were playing rugby? Did you get anything nasty done to you? I never played rugby. I've had a lot of nasty what? ones from hurling, though. Really? Yeah. Nasty one. I gather, Claire, you played rugby and you were... <laughs> you were Hold on. You were bitten. That's all I know. Tell us more. I, I can't possibly... T- oh, I can't tell you where I was bitten, but all I can say... Can. No, 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 I can't. This is a podcast. Obviously, obviously, it wasn't the first time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you, Steve. <laughs> anyway, it hurt. Um, well, I just thought, you know, you should be wearing a gum shield. It shouldn't actually be possible to leave marks. Mm. However... And yes, Steve, that is the only time there have been marks left. Thank you very much. (laughs) So if, as we're all saying, result-wise, this is what happens. England win in Scotland. We also have France beating Italy and Ireland beating Wales. And it comes down to a fascinating last round of fixtures on Saturday the 15th of March. England versus Ireland, that's a three o'clock game. Italy versus Scotland, that's a one o'clock. And Wales against France at five o'clock. I know they do these things for television, but shouldn't they be playing at the same time? It's absolutely criminal. I mean, you know, I, I, it's happened before in the Six Nations. You, you go into the last round of games and the team playing last knows what it's have to do. And if, if it works out as we think it will, that's exactly what's going to happen. The, the late game will have a distinct advantage. What do you think, Steve? Uh, Shouldn't they all kick off at the same time like they do in, in any other knockout or round-robin tournament so nobody gets an advantage? Yeah, they should. Um, but let's be honest, it's starting to be a bit more of an entertaining game now and it's a spectacle and the, the money that's generated for it. And it's, it's awful, but it's one of those things that happens. Final question to all of you. Who do you think will win the championship? Um, Steve, I'll come to you last. Ian? I think probably France and points difference. Yeah? Because I think if they need to put up a big score. They'll be in Cardiff last round. In Cardiff last round. Whoa. England are at home. Yeah, mm-hmm. Fra- France, France, but only just. Yeah, you'll never say England. Uh, what do you think, Claire? Um, Wales. Do you? Yeah, I oh. do. I know. I don't think they're going to lose badly against Ireland. Um, and I also think I said Ireland almost in a way. I actually want Wales to win. And they'll, beat, and they'll beat France <laughs> in Cardiff. Yep, I think they will. Steve, who do you think is going to win the championship? I still think Wales will. I really feel that with Gatland, I, I, I said at the beginning I didn't think he could have an influence this quickly. And Edwards, and uh, they have. I think with Edwards, you know, I've heard the players talk about him so much at Wasps. If anything, they, he loves it when they go away and he loves to go away and win away and, and get that hardness. And I feel that he'll start getting that onto the players now. You can just hear the, the confidence. And there's no real comfort zone about the Welsh, which they normally do. If they have a good start to a tournament, they just tend to live off that a bit, whereas this time they're not. Fantastic. Thanks for joining us again, Steve. No, thank you very much. Enjoy no, your rugby you. in France. Thanks for talking okay. to us.
Uh, Steve Thompson, the uh, World Cup winging hooker for England, now playing his rugby in France. That's all we've got time for on today's Six Nations show with guardian.co.uk. As I say, if you want to say what you think, then you can post your blog on blogs.guardian.co.uk forward slash sport. Uh, my thanks to my guest, Claire Tolley. Thanks. Merci. Uh, Ian Pryor. Cheers, in. Top of the morning. And to our, our guests, Steve Thompson and Philip Matthews. Do join us after the weekend when we'll know if Wales are wearing that triple crown or are on their way to a Grand Slam or whether it's still a four-horse race in one of the most open Six Nations for years. This is Ian Payne. Thank you very much. Until then, thanks for listening. Goodbye. Six Nations Rugby from guardian.co.uk. 